0: Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk, Make a Podcast, Process an Insurrection.
1: This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching concerning an insurrection. Yeah.
0: And uh, so if you haven't picked up on it, this will be a very special episode <laughs> of Two Pastors. Um, and and we're going to follow our normal format, but but really all from the context of processing um, the events in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday and Um, do you remember a couple years ago, you and I were sitting in a Starbucks and we were talking, maybe I guess after we had taken a walk and we were just talking, do you remember there was this lady who was like at a table next to us. And after a while she got up and she came over to us and was like, I want you to know that I just have been kind of overhearing your conversation. And like, remember she said, like, she had just had a breakup and was like having a really hard day. And that like hearing the conversation had like given her context on things or I mean, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I really think honestly, that might have been now that I'm thinking about it. One of the sparks for me of like, just, I mean, not that we're representing ourselves as some great all wise (laughs) or holy anyone, but just sort of like, oh, these conversations might be helpful. To people more than just us. Um, but especially today, what we are inviting people to do, if they're interested in, is overhear our conversation as we're processing this. And so um, we are not claiming that we understand fully what happened because we're watching it unfold in real time, like everyone else. And also, you know, this is how I'm thinking. And feeling and the dots I'm connecting right now, but I, I don't doubt that as time unfolds and as we continue to listen more and pray more and think more sort of things will shift. And so like, I guess I'm just trying to say (laughs) you're invited to overhear our conversation um, in the in a space of non-judgment because we are just, I mean,
1: we're processing,
0: we're just processing it and trying to process it as, as who we are as individuals and in the context of our friendship and as part of our identity as disciples of Jesus Christ and then um, as pastors. So welcome <laughs> to, <laughs> sorry, we're not at Starbucks, but uh, anyway, and the, well, and the other sort of caveat is, I am um, traveling right now. I'm visiting my family um, in Kentucky, and so um, at some point, inevitably during this podcast, someone is going to wander in this room. I'm going to be like, I know it just looks like I'm talking to myself, but I'm recording a podcast. Please go away, and I don't want Yolanda to have to edit that out. So. <laughs> That's going to happen.
1: We will will all say hi and welcome.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. Anyway, so, friend, what is astonishing you this week?
1: Well, you know, like most people, um, well, I don't know, maybe not like most people, uh, because I have, on purpose, limited the amount of time I've spent watching the news, um, because, I can only see the same clips (laughs) so many times um, before it begins to um, take me to a really negative place. But I try to stay informed. I try to stay engaged. And so um, of course I'm astonished by what happened in Washington, but I have to say not surprised. Mm -hmm. Astonished, but not surprised. Um, I'm astonished that at first, no one was arrested, (laughs) that people walked to the Capitol, went into the building, went into offices, put feet on desks, um, destroyed property, and then just kind of waltzed out of the building and back to their hotels and um, back home. I'm astonished by the spin that I've heard, right? Well, these were not Trump supporters. This was Antifa. That, that is just astonishing to me. Um, another, another negative astonishment uh, about this whole situation is, um, oh, <laughs> some emphasis on some Republicans saying, well, you know, we can't hold the president accountable because that would divide the country. Like, no. <laughs>
0: Ted Cruz released a statement criticizing Joe Biden for his inflammatory rhetoric that was dividing the country. Which context, Joe Biden did compare Cruz to uh, Goebbels from the Hitler regime. <laughs> so, I mean, that is the context of that statement. But, but even in context, I just it is it is astonishing that the first time Senator Ted Cruz has a problem with rhetoric Uh, it is about Joe Biden because it's not as if Trump hasn't ever made really um, egregious claims about Cruz, about his family, about his father, about his wife. <laughs>
1: so it's really. And the response is often, well, oh, I didn't see the tweet. Oh, it's just a tweet. Oh, you know, he was just it's kidding. It's just talk. You know, it's just It's, talk. Just, it's, it's locker just talk. room talk. Yeah. It's just,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's I, I mean, in, and even what you said about when you were relating what happened, um, I think now more information is coming out about it's that i mean it is more than just vandalism more than just Mm -hmm. um you know whatever a quote desecration of the space i mean there were people in there with weapons there were people in there saying that they were going to um execute lawmakers who were traitors there were people in there with um Zip tie, flexible handcuffs. There were people um, trying to beat down doors to get into rooms where lawmakers are hiding. There were people who, you know, found journalists and began to beat them. I mean, I think um, it's it's not that it would not have been enough were it just a case of people taking um, selfies in room, empty rooms like that. I mean, especially, you know, friends of mine who live in DC, I mean, like the Capitol Peace, the police are infamous for arresting people for, um, you know, sledding down a hill for doing jazz hands in a hearing for, you know, singing outside of lawmakers offices. So, so the context of who can and can't do what is, um, Extraordinary, And I think it's really important that I am grateful, profoundly grateful that the Capitol police showed so much restraint in terms of protecting folks and um, not using um, deadly force. So it's not as if I want more people in that space to have died because I, I don't. Um, but I think that we can, and I think it's important, like more and more information is coming out about how the Capitol police, you know, had requested more, um, support and it had been denied and how, I mean, so in some ways it does seem as though while there were, I think really, um, I don't even know what the word is. I was gonna say offensive, but that's not a big enough word, but like egregious examples of some officers appearing to assist and um, celebrate people in that space. Um, It is also true that a law enforcement officer died. It is also true that they were attacked. And it is also true that um, I think they were set up, but you know, in terms of, not being able to have the kind of um, support that, you know, you see security officials from around the world saying as a professional, (laughs) there's no way of understanding how this happened. Um, And part of the rhetoric that astonishes me just for its cravenness is people who have been um, loud in their celebration of deadly force used against those protesting police brutality now saying, well, we got so much pushback (laughs) against Black Lives Matter that we toned it back because we're listening. And I just, um, that's not true. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. um, so, but to use um, the pain and suffering and deaths of those who were, brutalized by police while peacefully protesting police brutality. Um, and I know that there were some property damage and I know that there was, um, uh, I know cause I've been there that there is often speech, insulting speech directed towards members of law enforcement. That is true. Um, but, but to see people suggest that they are um, incorporating criticism from members of the Black Lives Matter community and that was what informed the response to this event is just um, salt in the wounds. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I, that's, it's, a, it's a lot to process and I think so much more is coming out. I'm astonished um, and, I, and I think it's gonna be a long time before we can really comprehend the magnitude of this, but, but I am astonished at those images of seeing the Confederate flag in flown inside that building and just what how that connects this event, which I think a lot of people I mean, and like emotionally, myself included, you just sort of want to say, like, this was an extraordinary, <laughs> you know, confluence of circumstances. And it really doesn't mean anything other than the immediate aftermath of what happened. And it was just kind of a spontaneous um, thing that nobody really wanted to happen. And so nobody really could have prevented. Um, and I think it's really important um, to see just that this event in the context of all of the mythologizing that's been happening about the lost cause of the South, and how you know it it is becoming more and more um, you know it's a huge part of the culture war to venerate these symbols of the Confederacy, and I think when people say, oh, well, those symbols don't mean what they meant back in the time, or they don't mean that the people who revere them want um, to recreate a society that the people who originally carried those flags very much wanted to preserve. You know, I I understand why we want to believe that, but um, I just think that's, extraordinarily dangerous to, to say, um, I mean, not only do I think it's just unloving <laughs> for um, our brothers and sisters who are directly threatened by that. So it's unloving just to be like, ah, eh, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but I also just think it's incredibly foolish um, and, and egotistical to assume, you know, that could never happen again, or that could never happen Here, like how many times speaking as a white person are white americans going to say this doesn't really matter it's not a big deal and and say to black americans don't get hysterical Mm -hmm. we understand better than you do what the threat is and we've decided that it's not a big threat um i mean that's Easy to say when you're raising white children.
1: Someone carrying the Confederate flag into the Capitol um, was not a surprise to me. I remember after the uh, 2016 election for a good six to nine months around our town, I noticed just a number of trucks and Jeeps flying a combination of flags. Mm -hmm. It would be... um, The Confederate flag plus the don't tread on me flag. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Confederate flag plus a Trump flag. Mm -hmm. The Confederate flag plus um, some altered um, American flag. Um, And so I got the message very early that those two things went together in the minds Mm -hmm. of people that the current political moment on the right and um, the The idea of the confederacy that those two things are very much in the minds of of many people on the right, not everyone, I, I not was, everyone, yeah,
0: but a significant number. and mm-hmm. I think, I mean, to your point, when it's a significant number of people and then other people surrounding those people and they all share a common racial identity are saying to those who are targeted by that like oh, this doesn't matter, don't worry about it, it's not a threat to you. I mean, like, I I just really feel like if nothing else, I, I mean, I think white Americans in general, but white Christians have to understand that we do not get to decide how um, threatened other people feel. Um, and, and to be clear, I understand that people who are clinging to that mythology also feel threatened. I understand, Mm -hmm. but they do not have an ancestral generational history of being brutalized and enslaved and murdered.
1: Um, Well, and what their media outlets are saying, what their social media is saying is that if you don't join this cause well the gay people are coming the atheists are coming persecution of the church is coming religious liberty is out the window this is more than a political position this is a righteous spiritual struggle war it's Mm -hmm. a war right and um and i would say that the flying of flags like the confederate flag uh and and the message uh the, the response is that oh it doesn't mean what you think it means i think that's not only a message to black people but i think it's meant to be primarily a message to white Americans with a conscience mm-hmm. because part of what happened in Washington this past week was that the conscience of many white Americans was shocked. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like they took it this far.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: I thought this was simply about um, the election. I thought this was simply about what, what is this? Mm-hmm. And so I think there is an attempt that I think there are some who see, listen, if if we're going to maintain a level of supremacy, then there has to be, we, we got to get as many white people on board. And right. if if we are full blown in our philosophy, if it's fully out there, there are just a number of people who who will be a no. Right. right. Well- be- because our society seems to be a very center right center left and anytime something feels like an extreme either way there's this rush back to the center i don't know if it's a rush but yeah. th- th- there i think there's an attempt there to say to white people oh no I, uh, Hooded clansmen, we're not that,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I just think to your point, of all the people in the world who ought to understand that words have changed lives, <laughs> that words create actions, um, it's Christians we call Jesus the Word. So to continually say, like, oh, they're just talking and that doesn't matter is if, if the talk of hold on one second, if the talk of the far right doesn't matter, then why do we believe that the talk of people within Christian communities matters? Yes. Words make ideas and ideas articulate values and shared values shape communities and communities change culture. And so if that works inside the church and it and I mean, I'm staking my life on the fact that it does. If it works inside the church, then it works outside the church as well. So for Christians just to be like, oh, that just, that's just talk. It doesn't matter. It's just words, words become reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, so I think that, and I also just feel like all of these people who sort of go, who, who look at what happened and, and I understand that humor is a coping mechanism. So I, I really understand that. And I, and I also really understand that one of the ways of taking back power uh, is, is to laugh. Um, and so I, I understand, I really, I, I'm not disparaging anyone who is using humor to process what's happening. Um, but I think two things, like one, I think humor can be a little bit dangerous um, because it suggests that we don't need to take this seriously. And I think there are a lot of people who just think, like, well, um, if people are showing up, you know, sort of wearing, you know, objects of, you know, clothing that are humorous, then those people aren't really dangerous. And it's as if we're waiting for someone to distribute like an erudite, 19 page plan a step by step instruction of like uh, we're announcing our intention to you know follow this and 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 once that happens there are people who think like okay then I'll take it seriously as if evil cannot manifest itself in chaos when, when we know that that's true that if there are people with guns and zip ties wandering around the capitol building you know you, you don't have to be a professional terrorist to um, kill someone and and then change everything. And so I, I think that's really really important. and I and part of what's interesting for me is just watching this unfold um, be, after spending three years in seminary studying with Elie Wiesel and we did these survey courses every year with them, and we would always be looking at, sort of genocides in different places and fascist regimes and tracing, you know, how these things came to power. And one of the things that happens every single time is it's not that 90% of any population wakes up one morning and says, hey, I'm pro concentration camp today. It's that there is an extreme fringe. There is a, a group of people who legitimately, you know, don't agree, but don't take it seriously. And mm-hmm. you know, power increases incrementally by incrementally. And then there are folks who realize, okay, well, I can use these people to my personal advantage. And I, I don't agree, but I know that, you know, I can control them. And you know, all of us that, that's how it happens every time. Mm-hmm. So to think, you know, the and and one of the things that you know he really stressed is um that there's this deep connection between what is um banal and what is evil. And so this mm-hmm. idea that like we expect evil to show up in the world in a respectable way and and in a way that terrifies us and 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 often it doesn't. Often mm-hmm. it just kind of slinks in and disguises itself as something laughable or pitiable or shameful or ridiculous, but that doesn't mean
1: or harmless.
0: Yeah. And, And, and so I think, you know, we really need to soberly be able to say, you know, our, our, our American myth of American exceptionalism is making us really vulnerable because we mm-hmm. think what happened in Germany? What happened in Rwanda? What happened in Turkey? What happened in Japan? Like that can't happen to us because we are different but we are not different. We are human and we mm-hmm. have the same enemy who is about the same task. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that and, and I'll say one more thing and then I'll shut up. Like no. that is not to say that I think that everyone who's been swept up in this is evil. Like, I, I don't think that. That's a good that, point. Yeah, and I just think that's really important too. Like one reason that I don't think that we can see this for what it is is because, I mean, most of us um, know and love people, um, maybe not people who are storming the Capitol. Um, although I know people who know and love people who are storming the Capitol. I have a friend who lives in DC who is a public servant and, and her brother called to say, are you okay? But also I support what happened. And she was like, do you understand that? Like, You can't love me individually and support what happened. I'm the people they say they're going to kill, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, I mean, so I think there are people, but I mean, I think that's what's so crazy is um, what is not crazy. What is so difficult for us to wrap our minds around is that again, we expect, If something evil is happening, everyone involved in it is going to be someone who's repugnant to us, someone that we can't love or show no common values or no common experiences with. And that's just not true. I mean, that is what it means to be, as Calvin would say, like totally depraved. Mm -hmm. Not that every single part of you is terrible, but that there's no person on earth who is somehow unsusceptible to possession by this kind of evil power and principality. And so I'm going to have to deal with my four-year-old right now who is kicking me,
1: <laughs> baby. No worries, no worries. <laughs>
0: can you please go upstairs and get your sisters and ask them for help? Because I'm recording the podcast with Mr. Yolanda, okay? I want a chocolate
1: milk. Okay. She wants a chocolate milk. Milk. <laughs>
0: I knew this was going to be
1: hard. <laughs>
0: um, anyway, um, to
1: that. Well, I think you're exactly right. Um, and what's challenging is that there are some of us, especially people of color, um, Jewish people, I mean, we just know that we are the targets. And so it's it's fairly easy to see what's happening. But I think for so many Americans, you're exactly right. They're expecting evil to show up in a way that is um, kind of Friday the 13th, scary, exorcist, just here I am, I'm evil. But the whole um, story of the Old Testament, at least the book of Genesis, is that evil shows up in a conversation, right?
0: And I think like we, we expect evil to show up the way it does in the movies, and we expect like our superhero savior to show up mm-hmm. like it does in the movies, right? So we just feel like, well, I'm waiting for someone to fix this or, or for someone that I can venerate and follow with my own 18 point plan for handling it. And so the, the reality of like, we have a savior. <laughs> he has a mm-hmm. very particular non-negotiable way of being manifest in the world. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the ways that we resist this and fight this. um, I mean, it's the Jesus way and it's not gonna be like one 18 point plan that we all start on an agreed upon day and time. It's gonna look like a lot of people um, digging deep and looking at their own sphere of influence and saying, how do i engage and i think a lot of times we just think like well the little that i do won't matter so i'm not doing it
1: yes Um, i was listening to jamar tisby talk about um, how to fight racism and he said that the church has to um, recalibrate what it means to have success around racial justice yes we need to look toward legislation but that's not the only thing mm -hmm. it's um Are you engaged in in, uh, building relationships? Look inside, are you being changed uh, in the midst of this struggle? If you find yourself becoming harder, angrier, bitter, then we've got to measure success in that way as well. And I think it's the same thing here. Um, Success um, is not gonna look like (laughs) <laughs> like you said, following an 18-point plan and then declaring victory, it's going to look like hearts and minds changed as well as legislation.
0: I I think, I mean, King was famous for saying, like, I cannot make somebody stop hating me, but I can make the laws change so that mm-hmm. someone can stop killing me. And so I yeah. agree, like, legislation is really important, but also fundamentally, like, we want to be a people and this is what I was preaching about on Sunday, we wanna be a people who are part of a different story, who can invite others to be part of that story so that there's really a culture and a value shift writ large so that you know we don't need, I mean, because ultimately, and I'm in favor of prosecuting hate crimes, but like ultimately, I don't want the Confederate flag to disappear because there's a law against it. I want the Confederate flag to disappear because there's a heart shift among people mm-hmm. And people can recognize what it is and reject it and do that without feeling like their own history or their own humanity is being rejected. Like to be able to say, you know, I am a white person and to say the Confederate flag is anathema and I know that white people played a particular role in that story, but that doesn't mean that I I don't have to be threatened by that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm say i need to tell my child i don't have any chocolate milk we drank it all yesterday can you give me a little more time and here and then i will go and get you some okay
1: Okay.
0: ignoring them only works for
1: (laughs) i get it no worries no worries
0: normally i'm at home and so i can just say to colin like hey can you just (laughs) take care of these children but I'm at Mimi's house and Mimi's still asleep and it's Mimi's birthday, so she should be asleep. And and I have teenagers who also are still asleep. (laughs) It's just me and the four-year-old who is only going to be denied so many times. Um, So
1: That's why um, I had to lock my door.
0: (laughs) There are no doors to lock here. Um, The other thing that I think is really interesting in thinking about this. um, So when, when I was in seminary, we had like one required course, which I think was on like sociology. Mm -hmm. And um, I did not, in in my own youth and crudeness, I did not have a lot of understanding or um, right, probably honor and respect for the person teaching the course. Um, And so all he gave us or like the main focus of his course was on cults and like sects and cults, sects oh. like S-E-C-T-S, sects mm-hmm. and cults and what they were and how they functioned and how you know we needed to understand that. And and I probably was not listening or it wasn't a space where I could answer the que- ask the question for lots of reasons. But I, I just didn't understand. Like I are you making this do this because You are afraid that we are going to go start cults? Are you making us (laughs) do this? And and like part of me was like, I don't, I mean, like I get that like Ruby Ridge happened, but Mm -hmm. I didn't feel, I mean, at that point in my life when I was really sort of beginning to integrate justice work with my faith, like the idea that cults were this huge problem (laughs) that we needed Mm -hmm. to focus on, like I just, I did not understand, appreciate. And honestly, like I I was offended and I just thought like, you know, most people who are victims of cults are white people. So like, why are we sitting around this class talking about something that doesn't happen to very many people and the people it does happen to are white and not having a course talking about hmm, the industrial prison complex or, you know the Mm -hmm. school to prison, like all all kinds of stuff. It is interesting though, uh, now in this moment Um, that I feel like I need to go back and dig up some of those books and Mm -hmm. rethink. Because I I do think that understanding how people become part of cults um, with their closed narrative story and their control and how um, it's, you know, how you can be a person who is um, a lifeline for, like you know, that you can be a person through whom folks can walk away and not unintentionally a person that pushes people deeper
1: mm-hmm.
0: into that life. Like that seems very relevant to me right now. And I think like that metaphor of cult, and, and I'm not saying it's an exact fact, I'm not saying everyone who voted for Trump is in a cult. Like, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the metaphor of understanding, if you think about a cult Mm -hmm. and you think about someone who is in a cult, what you don't do is go to that person and go, you're such a stupid loser. Yeah, I can't believe you, you piece of crap. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you can try to leave, but it's too little, Mm -hmm. too late. And I will never, you know, I will never be, I mean, you know, you don't, you understand that someone who is in a cult, if you want to rescue them from that, you can't, um, you, you can't use those tactics. You can't just yeah. say, and, and I think like, as we think about this, we have to understand, like, what do we really want? Do we want to be right? Um, I mean, I just think like the righteousness of God is not up for debate. So, mm-hmm. or, or do we want to rescue folks? Cause I see all this language about like, you know, this or that is too little too late or language about rats on a sinking ship or they, I mean, and I get it, I get the humanness of that. Um, but I also think, know if we want people to move away from that we can't punish them for making those first steps and Mm -hmm. i don't think that that means we need to center you know powerful voices or we need to lie about what happens or what's at stake but like you can't i mean you can't both hate someone for being a part of an ideology and Mm. also hate them for leaving that ideology Mm. at the pace that they do, and then wonder why people are still in the ideology. And if you're still, if you're a part of that ideology and you know, literally, if I leave this, people inside this ideology are gonna hate me, dox me, make threats against me, you know, so like I'm risking my life to try to extricate myself from this. And people on the outside look at me with contempt and hatred and loathing, then then what are you gonna do? I mean, like I even, I think just the human response is to say, even if I'm beginning to understand what this community is, as long as I toe the line, I'm safe and accepted inside this ideology. But if I leave this ideology, then I'm hated by the people who are still in it and I'm hated by the people who rejected it. So, Mm. you know, so that I think is a really important thing is like, how is the church do we clearly and soberly speak truth mm. um, knowing that that truth is going to be perceived as divisive and, um, and knowing that that truth sometimes will enrage and, and legitimately hurt people who don't understand it. But how do we be absolutely humbly, but un? swervingly devoted to speaking the truth and being creating communities where people feel like if I take a step out of this space, here are people where it can be safe for me to get vulnerable enough to say, let me look at the magnitude of what you know, what I believed in, what I was a part of, what the stakes were, you know, like that kind of, that's incredibly difficult and vulnerable work. And how can we, I think create a space where we can celebrate people for having the courage to do that without saying, you know, nothing else about you matters, right? Like I, I just, um, I have been thinking about that a lot. And as a Christian community of any community, we ought to be people who are like, we understand that um, all of us get here through a metanoia, right? Mm -hmm,
1: And so mm -hmm. I
0: can't feel some sort of moral superiority to someone who's been sucked up in any kind of um, lie um, because I know that any truth I have is truth that God graciously revealed to me. And also I'm under no illusions about my own ability to entertain deception and the grace of God is meant to be used as um, as a as, as salve, as healing, not as a weapon. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I really love the word rescue that you used. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a word that I use often um, to... Uh, describe the salvation of Jesus in my preaching, that he came to rescue us. And um, rescue is motivated by love. It's not motivated by judgment or punishment. And I do think it is a wonderful word in this moment. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if we're seeking to rescue people, that is just the polar opposite of Warfare and combat language, which Mm -hmm. is so tempting in this moment. You're tempted to say, okay, oh, I see the quote unquote army on that side. So we're going to build an army on this side and we're just going to battle it out. Mm -hmm. And, um, but if you start thinking in terms of rescue, winning people over, you are right. It does require a high level of vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we've been trained for that uh, much um, in the church. We've been trained to uh, draw lines defining who's Mm -hmm. in and who's out. We've been um, trained to, yes, distinguish truth from lie, but not how to exist in relationship with people who are not only different, but who disagree. I mean, our own denomination over the past few years has been going through a horrible breakup as people, as co-congregations left because of a disagreement over a theological issue. And sometimes the parting was bitter and angry. Mm-hmm. And so we know we know how to divide. We know how to slam the door on our way out. We know how to point the finger and say, you're wrong. I'm right. I need to win. Uh, the righteousness of God demands that I mm-hmm. overpower and overcome you. We We know how to do that. What we don't know how to do very well is to say, let's walk together. <laughs> let's right. walk together, even though we don't agree. Uh, even though we <laughs> deeply disagree, well,
0: and it, and it's even deeper than disagreement, right? Because I think it's and absolutely it's really yes. important to name it. Like yes. there are people on the other on the other side who want to kill mm-hmm. people um, with a different ideology. You just and the see problem... them as a threat who ne- that needs to be exterminated, and use that language of yes. like non-human. Pest info. I mean, like, so I think I mean I want to be clear that like I understand when we talk about rescue, I understand it's it the stakes is like we're talking about people whose lives are threatened, risking their lives to rescue those who are threatening and killing them. And and I get that. And I understand that it's not fair, and I understand, um, I you know I I understand that it's not it, it it's not even just, but what I, but what it is, inescapably, is Christian. <laughs> like mm-hmm. what it is inescapably is, you know, a posture that resembles the posture, not only the posture that Jesus took towards the world, which I mean like we're not anybody's savior. So you could sort of say, well, that was a one-off whatever. But I mean, also the early church, like Paul explicitly, and, and, you know, you read the letters of first Peter and they're saying like, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. And, Mm -hmm. and they're talking about like when they come to take you out of your cell, to execute you in that moment, Mm -hmm. be able to speak life to the people who are coming to kill you because they understood. I mean, to your point, they understood those early saints that they were in a war, but it wasn't a culture war. Like they knew they weren't battling the people on the other end of the ax. They knew they were battling the antichrist. Like Mm -hmm. they knew they were battling, um, the Satan. And, And, and so, um, and you know, he, here's a crazy thing, that strategy of laying down your life was what set the world on fire with the Christian movement, right? Like mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. where people on the other side said like, wow, I'd rather be part of that story than the story I'm in, even if it cost me my life. And and, and I think, oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just gonna say, not only that, it was at the heart of the civil rights movement, Yeah. right? And so there's this, when, you, when you've got students, when you have young people sitting at lunch counters in Greensboro uh, being abused um, and the world sees that, well, it, it forces you to think through the, the cloudiness or, or what you think you know in the, in the moment, what mm-hmm. the culture has been telling you about what's right and what's wrong. Uh, it, at the very least, it forces you to ask some questions about why this is happening. And so if right, because it any, challenges
0: the narrative, like the narrative absolutely. is these people are subhuman mm-hmm. and unworthy mm-hmm. of, you know, rights that I have. Mm-hmm. But when I look at that image, I see the people who are supposed to be superior are being, mm-hmm. you know, aggressive and, you know, doing, doing things on camera that we know are Um, inhumane and the people who are supposed to be unhuman are the ones who are sitting there with Mm -hmm. dignity and strength and courage. And so, you know, that disrupts the closed circuit narrative Mm -hmm. of, we know what we know because we know it and everyone in our worldview agrees with that and all the authorities tell us that. And you can be inside that world and see that image and there's no way to understand that image, other than to begin to question, what if everything I've been told is true, isn't in fact true? Um, and I just, I mean, I think like being a part. Um, I mean, for a while, but most recently this this summer, um, you know, trying to show up where conscience demands. Um, you know, just recognizing that I understand that every activist isn't called to this, to Christian activism. I I get it. Um, And I think as Christians, we need to stand beside other activists and support what they're doing, because we share common goals and and values. Um, But also, you know, to really understand that um, we we have a different story. um, And because we're really not trying to I'm not trying to enact the founding concepts of America or help America live up to its ideals as a democracy. Like that is not my motivation. Um, My motivation is love of Christ compels me. And this is what these, I already live in the kingdom of God. And so this is the culture and these are the laws that I am accountable to. And so, you know, I'm not saying I don't have any opinion, uh, I mean, I have opinions, I always have opinions, but like, I understand that it's not my job to tell the Black Lives Matter movement how to do its work because it's not a Christian organization, which does not mean that it's opposed to Christianity. Like, I don't think so at all. I think that the church, I've said this before, I think the church was so egregiously, shamefully, blasphemously silent for so long that the Lord raised up another movement because we refused to do the things that um, our own traditions clearly required of us. So, you know, to be mad at the Black Lives Matter movement because they don't, in some people's opinions, have more Christian values. I just think like, I mean, what in the world was stopping you from starting a justice movement with the values that you say that justice movements have to have? You didn't do it. And so now you don't get to tell someone else that they're not allowed to work with, for justice unless they share your values. Start your own damn movement.
1: <laughs>
0: um, anyway, or or do what I think scripture shows Jesus doing so commonly, which is like come alongside people mm. and form relationships with people and genuinely love people and know people and establish Uh, you know, honor and respect and get people curious about who you are and what you do and, and how you might know a better way. So, um, and I just also want to be clear. I I find the Black Lives Matter movement deeply prophetic (laughs) and a a very strong um, embodiment Mm. of Christ. And I know that many people, um, and I mean, and I hope Myself, like there are many devout Christians who are expressing their faith being part of that movement. But I mean, also, I don't expect them to be a Christian movement. Um, and, and anyway, so.
1: But what you've just expressed is a reminder that this is a long walk in a faithful mm-hmm. direction, that this is not um, one election, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things I hope that comes out of this past week is that, number one, elections do matter, Mm -hmm. um, because at the same time, uh, there are these two senators from Georgia that were elected and that got lost um, in uh, the events of Washington, but at the same time... (laughs) This is just bigger. This is it, it. Just because now we have these senators and uh, a new president, the struggle is bigger, and it's it's beyond politics. We're talking about a heart shift, mm-hmm. uh, a mind shift, um, yeah. and you you use the, <laughs> the 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 preacher word uh, a little while ago, metanoia, and I thought you mm-hmm. were gonna. You're, you're usually very good about unpacking it for people, oh, yeah. and um. Uh, metanoia, the Greek for uh, repentance, it means to have a change of mind. Change of mind. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, just speaking about the Georgia election, I, for a minute, just want to say how, um, like how captivated and inspired I've been by the story of Stacey Abrams. I mean, I happen to share her politics. Um, so, but, but it's different than that. It's deeper than that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I um, think it is so interesting um, that she lost the election for governor. And I think not just in my opinion, but objectively that had so much to do with the fact that her opponent was the secretary of state and many people were disenfranchised from voting. And so he just, barely won. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and if everyone had, had, um, equal access to exercise their constitutional right to vote, I think it seems clear to everyone that he would not have won. And, and another reason I know that that is true is because even now the state legislature of Georgia is about to reconvene when there is still a Republican, um, majority and their, the first item on their agenda is, um, is to change the laws surrounding absentee ballots and voter registrations to make it more difficult to vote to decrease the number of eligible voters in Georgia. Um, you know, and in 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 the ideology of the folks proposing that legislature is that, uh, that you know it was fraud and that fraud is the only explanation for why the election didn't come out the way that they uh, expected it to. Um, That is not a um, version of reality that I uh, live in. Um, But what I think is so interesting about her and I've heard her talk about it, that she says, um, you know, after I lost and and her concession speech was really interesting. Like she said, I understand and accept that Brian Kemp will be inaugurated as the next governor of Georgia um, and, I do not believe that what, you know, and, and this is what, but she did not try to sow chaos into the system. She didn't try to prevent his election. You know, what she did, I, I, I think she said, you know, for two weeks <laughs> I ate ice cream and mm-hmm. I watched Netflix
1: Yes, yes.
0: and then I got to work. And what I love about looking at her story from sort of the concept of, from the perspective as of the kingdom of God is I just think sometimes we do what we feel called to do, and it does not work. Like It does not work out. The door is not opened. Um, And sometimes I think then we go like, well, that's on you, God. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. And and like, I tried and you didn't do your part. And so now I'm off the hook or whatever. And I think she like clearly the door to being governor of Georgia was closed to her. And so she then said, okay, well, I have the same set of values. I see the same um, problems and opportunities in my state, this venue has been closed to me. So where else can I get to work? And and she did, you know, mm-hmm. and she got to work um, in spite of the fact that people said, you know this is a waste of time and it's not gonna make any difference and this, you know and so, I, I mean, I just really appreciate that as sort of a disciple of the, um, I don't know even what, what value I want to attach, just the perseverance of that, just being, and, and the humility of not saying, you know, I was entitled to that and I didn't get it, so now I'm out. But to say, like, I am deeply committed to these values and to creating this kind of community. And so if I can't do it in the way I thought I was going to be able to do it, I am not too good <laughs> Mm -hmm. to do it in a different way and then just to really look about how you know the the way that i mean i think this is a great example of that that um phrase from paul about all things working together for good for those you know Mm -hmm. that she i think arguably will have a bigger impact in her state um than she would have as governor Mm -hmm. because of you know, all of the possibilities that she has opened up um, about, you know, about what, what how power can be exercised. So I really, I just have been really um, inspired by her. And I also, (laughs) like there's lots of memes going around and that's great. Like memes, like celebrating her and isn't she wonderful and let's whatever. Um, But I also saw something that I thought was great that like, you know, all of you predominantly white women, women who are now, you know, have like Stacey Abrams decals on your hydro flasks, like (laughs) look around at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community, notice who the black women are and go and listen to them, right? Like, like it's not, she's not a unicorn, right?
1: Like, I was just about to say that, mm-hmm. that black women have been doing that forever.
0: A mm-hmm. well, door and- is
1: closed, I'm still going to go to work. Mm-hmm. Not in a, um, I mean, she could have gone the way of building her brand. Mm-hmm. Right. She could have, it could have been a real self-serving work. Uh, she could have gone the way of anger and bitterness, right? Mm-hmm. As you said, sowing chaos into the system. She could have taken that energy in a lot of directions. And what she did was serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And,
0: and remain committed to the calling that was on her. I don't know if she's mm-hmm. a person of faith or not, but to remain committed to the calling that was on her life Um mm-hmm. And I, and, and open to the idea that the work was still worthy um, and, 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 you know, not, not to allow herself, um, you know, again, she stayed inside her story, which is, this is worthy work. I have something to offer. I need to, um, you know, I need to do this work as opposed to accepting what felt like the inevitable dominant story which is this is the way it is this is the way it always will be mm-hmm. you and the way you see the world and what you have to offer are not welcome here unless you conform to this standard and and so i really appreciate that she you know she stayed inside her story like to me like that's just what i'm thinking about right now is just how our stories so deeply form us mm-hmm. and how we're operating inside a story all the time even and especially when we're not aware of it. And I'm not saying like people of faith operate inside a story. I'm saying everyone operates inside a story. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's not a story we choose. It's just the story that we were born into or the story of everyone else around us. And we just accept the story as reality instead of what it is, which is a value system.
1: That. Wow. That deserves a whole podcast. Because Mm -hmm. I think that is, when you were talking about rescuing people, when you were talking about being in relationship with people in this present moment, I I think that is a major key. It's being aware of your story, being aware of your narrative, and being willing to listen to other people's narratives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and
0: And I think I've learned so much from my friends, Carl and Rebecca, who are inside the congregation who do like wilderness well, therapy work and this term, I think I've talked about before of like mm-hmm. unconditional positive regard, that you can listen to someone's story um, and you can disagree <laughs> with someone's story and still, and I'm not saying you should or you have to, like I think not everyone is called to this work, certainly not everyone is called to this work with everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I'm not saying this is, a must. I'm just saying it's possible to not choose someone's story and not agree with someone's story ideology and still choose them mm. <laughs> and still have unconditional positive regard towards them and still be determined to take a certain posture towards them, regardless of what their posture towards you is. And that is power. I mean, that mm. is power. Mm-hmm. Because you are saying no one else and no set of circumstances has the power to determine how I will move through this world. Um, the story that I'm a part of does that.
1: And I think that really describes um, so much of of the early church. I mean, you get, absolutely. With, with these disciples, they're so different. You got Peter, he's, he's wanting to cut people's ears off, right? Mm-hmm. You've got others who are more law oriented. And Jesus says, you all belong. Mm-hmm. Not and... because of any kind of other idea ideology or where you're from, but because I accept you. You're, you're, right. you're We, are, we are because I am. He, well, because there you I go. Am. <laughs> yes. And I,
0: and I think like he says, you, you know, you are welcome to come inside of the story before you understand it, before mm-hmm. you can perfectly embody it. You know, you're, yes. you're, you're, your, you can choose again, every time to recommit yourself to the story like th- that. I, and I think, we see
1: them grow. We see them mess up. Absolutely. <laughs> and grow. grow. And there's
0: no way to grow without messing up. And the other mm-hmm. thing that I think is so, you know, it's really important to understand is, like, because of the early church's ultimate commitment to, you know, the story, which you could use the imagery of the word or what, you know, to Jesus, but the story of who Jesus was and what God was doing, all of the things that used to work to control people, IE, you know, threats, torture, death, or carrots, like, you know, shared power, like none of that stuff worked, which is why, the movement was impossible to stamp out because people in power didn't have any tools that they could use to deter people from their story because people were completely surrendered Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. no matter what. So, so there was nothing that could be offered to them that could move them away from their story. And there's nothing that could be taken from them that would move them away from the story. So like, there was power. I mean, it was power on the other side for sure, but not the power to divorce them from that story. And that's why Paul can say like, yeah, I'm in prison, but I'm free. I'm completely free.
1: I had a meeting last Tuesday night with a um, hip hop artist here in the city. And um, apparently there's this underground young hip-hop community that wants to be in the church, but feel rejected by the church. And so they're just kind of out there. And so I was meeting with this guy um, who grew up in the church. I think his parents were both pastors uh, out of the Pentecostal tradition. And he said to me early on in our conversation, he said, in the church, he says, I was very, very churched. He says, but I got I got heaven and I got hell and I didn't get anything in the middle. Yeah. And yeah. I said, well, what, what do you mean? Cause I think I know what you mean by the middle, but tell me what you mean by in the middle. And he said, it's living life. Yeah. How, how yeah. do you live this life? And I, I just think the church is um, given a profound, Opportunity to help people live into a narrative. Yeah, well, um, and because okay. often what we preach is, um, and 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 there's truth. Believe, believe in Jesus and be saved. Is right. that true? Absolutely. Every day, all day. Yes. Believe. What we often fail to give is okay. Here's here is the. Narrative of Scripture. Here's the narrative of what God has been doing. Here's right. the narrative of what of well, God is doing.
0: And to say, like, now what? Because what this yeah. life is not just like the bus stop where we're waiting for heaven, right? Like, we're, it's our job not to just like sit here and not screw up. Um, also, like the position Which of figure in the world has been that filled. Many
1: people are living though. I mean, absolutely. That's just, okay now now that I'm a Christian, the job is don't don't mess this thing up.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I think I was sharing in a, in a sermon recently, um, I had this incredible experience when I was, um, in Beth, like the one time I was in Bethlehem, which I won't go back, which is a story for another time, but, um, but we were meeting with all of these, um, leaders, faith leaders, and, um, you know, from Christian traditions that, are, you know, Eastern Orthodox traditions are or, you know, Syrian Christian, but, and I can't, I cannot remember, um, who it was that said this, but, you know, somebody was asking them about, um, you know, the promise of the problem of suicide bombers, particularly within the Muslim community, but just in general, like, mm-hmm. you know, youth are just so, um, susceptible to violence and, um, and, you know, what, like, why don't they believe in, in heaven? Like, you know, and, And he's saying like, but that, don't you understand that's the problem. They believe so wholeheartedly in life after death. They have all of their hope and all of their joy lies in life after death. What they don't believe in is life before death. Like they, they, Mm -hmm. and they've been taught not to believe in it, Mm -hmm. that there's just nothing, there's nothing good for you here. Nothing will change here. You know, so like you, your life here and now does not matter. Um, which is why then you're so susceptible to someone saying like, you know, go strap a suicide bomb to your best or, or go storm the Capitol building with um, zip ties and guns. And I mean, and we have not, I can't believe want to talk about this, but I think, and I know this is super long, but like, we haven't spe- specifically named in this podcast. Cause I think we've had a couple conversations. We have had a couple conversations during the week where we have named this clearly, but like the really important thing is like so many of the people in that crowd did everything they did in the name of Jesus Christ. And so all those flags are like, there were so many Jesus flags in that crowd. Jesus is my savior. And so, so the, so, I mean, that was for so many people a wrong, but sincerely held gospel of Jesus Christ. Like they understood everything they were doing as lining up with the values of the kingdom of God, which again, I think has everything to do with like, you don't believe in life on earth. You only believe in life after death. So, you know, not only do you not have, you're willing to risk your own life. And like the rhetoric around that was like, we're, you know, we're willing to die for this. And, you know, and and you're certainly willing to, risk other people's lives because, you know, cause you just have this ideology where, you, you, where we haven't done a good job of talking about the middle. <laughs> um, mm. So I think that's really true. And, and I mean, we've said this in other places, but I mean, we we've said this personally, but not on this podcast, but mm. like as pastors specifically watching what happens, w- we have to wrestle with and name how many followers of Jesus Christ we're in that crowd and help our own Christian communities, the people who are within our sphere of influence, really clearly understand why that is a false gospel. Um, not so that they can demonize or reject folks who have been caught up under its influence and power, but like, I, so I think- they can you know, be free. Right, And and I think sometimes we just assume like, oh, everybody gets it and like, Clearly not. And so to be able to say to people like, you know, again, like political ideology is, you know, in a lot of ways adiaphron, but, but, but the gospel is not. And so to be able to say, it's okay if some people's love for Jesus Christ leads them to, um, you know, protest on Capitol Hill for certain policies, sure. But, you know, make threats to kill mm-hmm. people, um, t- you know, it, even, you know, destroying sta- like that's not, that is not in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ ever period. And I, cause I know people are thinking about it than to say like, well, is it in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ for black lives matter, um, protesters to loot a Walmart? No, no,
1: of course
0: not. <laughs> it's not. I mean, so, uh, but, but I mean, I think the difference is you did not see people looting a Walmart waving Jesus flags. (laughs) So Mm. that, you know, can I say like as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't steal. I mean, sure, absolutely. But the people who were doing that work weren't saying, hey, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. But the, not all, but many of the people, I mean, I think we would be shocked to know how many of the people in that crowd that day, consider themselves evangelical Christians. Maybe I would be shocked, and you wouldn't be shocked. Yeah,
1: my guess would be a lot, and I I would not be shocked. Yeah, um, because part of the evangelical narrative is, and. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago because Beth Moore tried to warn people is this mixing of theology and nationalism, right? And so that is what we saw. That's part of the narrative that to be a good person is to be white, Christian, conservative and be willing to shed blood to um, maintain um, a, a status, right? So and I and I would say in, in acting in line with um, that narrative,
0: and and I would say within that ideology, I think my understanding from the outside looking in is like you can be a person of color as long as you identify with the white majority, as long as you side with the status quo. Mm -hmm. then you not only will be welcome, you will be celebrated Mm -hmm. (laughs) inside that community. Mm -hmm. Um, So,
1: But not too many of you.
0: Well, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. anyway. Um, Okay, so I feel like we've been talking for a very, very long time. I do want to share one thing in closing, um, just because the whole world is not woe. I had shared last week just my astonishment and... um, uh, what it was like in our community that our, our dear friend and brother and leader um, Lamar was in the hospital and very, very mm-hmm. ill and how the community gathered to pray for him over zoom. It was a lot. And anyway, but um, he came home
1: yesterday. Wow. Fantastic. So wow.
0: I just, I am just astonished at the goodness of God. And I, I'm, I mean, it's a, it is a mystery that, that is hard to speak about because, um, because that's not the uniform experience for, Mm -hmm. for everyone, um, who loves and is loved by God. And so I don't, you know, I think in communities, tragedies really deeply unsettle us. Um, and so do miracles. (laughs) I mean, because they, they prompt the same question, which is like, why this person and not that person. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, it's just a mystery. Um, and, also, I just am just, i mean, like everybody just overjoyed and celebrating that and astonished at um, yeah. where it is and, and continuing to pray for him because he, he's probably listening to this podcast. Hi Lamar. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> Hi Lamar. You know. <laughs> Glad you're home.
0: Um, but I know he has but, a lot of recovery and strength and so we're still praying, but
1: it so. does remind me. Um, and I, I think I, I just kind of naturally by God's grace and wiring land here often. But it it is a reminder that um, spiritual power is power. Spiritual power is, yes, mystery, but Mm -hmm. also very real and effective. And so one of the things I've been thinking about, uh, especially this past week, is how do I help believers that i know that i walk with that i shepherd um walk in spiritual power and one of the things i want to find a way to share once again with the the congregation that i serve is is christian meditation i'm in in my head i call it christian meditation for peace and power and there, it, there is a thing, right? The, the Bible does tell us to meditate and there is a, and for me, it, it not only gives me a sense of comfort in a stressful season, but it, it, there's a, an empowerment in it. And, mm-hmm. and this is a reminder also of, you know, <laughs> at least in uh, the circles that I run in, people often say prayer changes things, prayer changes things. But when uh, storm clouds, roll in, I mean, sometimes we lose our minds, we run around like chickens with our head cut off, heads cut off, and then it dawns on us, oh, maybe we should pray. Yeah, (laughs) Um, well,
0: and I I mean, I just think I really like to just name that tension, like spiritual power is real and it doesn't make us God, right? Like it doesn't mean that we then have sort of the ability to determine outcomes. I mean, it doesn't. What
1: spiritual power does, here's the metaphor I use just in in my own walk. It's if I'm a sailboat, I'm lifting up my sail to go where the spirit is blowing, trusting that wherever the spirit is blowing is good, holy, Mm -hmm. and right. Whether I want to sail that way or not, I'm going to go with the spirit. I'm not going to resist. And so, Meditation and prayer helps me to do that.
0: And, and I think, like, one of the reasons that some of us shy away from just really not all, I mean, I like whatever, most people don't. I, man, okay, let me just say that I <laughs> and others sometimes really dance around the edges of that kind of um, intercessory prayer, growth people I do pray for you to be clear <laughs> to be clear um, but because it requires really putting your faith and relationship with God up on the altar because mm-hmm. you're sort of saying unequivocally, like God, this is my heart, and this is everything I believe in. This is everything that I understand to be true about who you are and how you work. And if this, you know, if however this comes out, it's going to change who I know you to be, who I experience you to be, whatever. And I just think a lot of times like that, that is just too scary, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and so we and so we don't do it, um, and we trust other people to pray. I mean, it, anyway, so I just um I, all I wanted to say is I talked about Lamar last week and he is home this week and I am just grateful for the mystery of yes. God's healing grace and um and I'm aware of so many equally loved who I do believe experienced God's healing grace but in a very different outcome. So um, there's just a, a, a tender celebration of that. Mm. And I'm grateful, so grateful. And just, I'm still pondering it really, like I'm still just, I, like it's, I don't think that it's a faithful response just to be like, cool, handled, move on, <laughs> right? Like to really said, yeah. like, what, what does this mean? And, and, mm. and, and it should, I mean, to your point, like it should change the direction that we're sailing in. Not because we've charted a new course, but because we've allowed the Holy Spirit to have that much more control that we've yielded that much more. And that's um, just a brave and beautiful and vulnerable and terrifying thing. So,
1: anyway. And I would add a kingdom manifesting thing. Yes, right? yes, Because what absolutely. we're doing is we're saying, we are yielded vessels here we are, and I think that, uh, and we're saying, God, use that space, use that yieldedness yieldedness to manifest your kingdom reality, mm-hmm. um, which others may or may not see, others may mm-hmm. or may not celebrate, but we mm-hmm. trust that these mustard seeds are gonna grow into something great and fantastic.
0: Well, we should press pause <laughs> here. The chocolate milk brigade is going to be back. Oh second. yes, <laughs> that's
1: right. Uh,
0: <laughs> oh, uh, so no, no, it's good. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, if you want to find out more about DERITA, D-E-R-I-T-A, Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, you should Google it and it'll pop you up on their website. And if you want to hear, and I really recommend Yolando's um, messages, you can go to the Podbean website and search for the Dorita Church Podcast and find, you can find lots of binge-worthy content. Um, and if you want to um, see most recent messages, um, I mean, I guess everything is in both places, but, but uh, YouTube messages, if you want to see his face as well as hear his voice, uh, then you should go to the Doraida Church YouTube channel. And if you want to find out more about The Grove, uh, you can go to thegrovescharlotte.org. Uh, If you want to worship with us, uh, we worship at 10 a.m. on the live stream and you can catch it anytime, but we're fun people. So you can worship with us and it's good. Um, And if you just want to listen to sermons from the Grove, you can go to the Grove Church podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and download them there. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week.